Thanks for joining us today on the Teen Challenge of Southern California podcast. If you didn't know, we have a 24-7 prayer and referral hotline, and it's actually staffed by our own Teen Challenge staff members who are ready to pray with you anytime, anywhere. Give us a call today at 888-520-0620. And if you know someone, maybe a friend or a family member who's struggling with addiction and wants help, please tell them about our program. And you can refer them to this same number, 888-520-0620, and we can help them begin their new life. For the next few weeks, we will be sharing messages from our annual pastors conference. And our theme this year was a fresh anointing. Today, we're blessed with a message from our dear friend, Pastor Jim Simbola from the Brooklyn Tabernacle. We hope and pray that you're refreshed in the presence of the Lord in these times that we share together. And if you haven't had the chance yet, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel today. You'll be notified every time a new episode comes out, and it's a way for us to stay in touch during these difficult times. God bless you today, my friends. Hello, everybody there in California. My dear, dear friend Ron Brown uh, has asked me, Pastor Ron Brown, to be a part of your pastor's conference with the theme being a fresh anointing, a new anointing on our lives and ministry for the glory of God. I'm Pastor Jim Simbola. I pastor the Brooklyn Tabernacle in downtown Brooklyn. And to all of you that are out there, let me just say this by way of introduction. My wife and I many years ago came to a rundown building with less than 20 people. Uh, that we inherited, and half of them were delusional or something. Um, and the church had had real troubled days, and there was less than $5 in the bank account, and the first offering was $85. And it was a rundown building. There was no crack cocaine yet in New York City, but a lot of heroin then, a lot of alcoholism, gangs, and people just homeless, roaming the streets, and we were right downtown in Brooklyn before it got bougie and all kinds of special, like it more is now, although the pandemic has altered that. So there's not too many problems that, I, that you are facing that I have not faced. And over the years, not having gone to seminary, I had to learn through books, the Word of God primarily, other people speaking into my life, um, and by my mistakes. You know, when you play basketball and somebody beats you or does something, you go back, well, I can't let that happen again. So you learn by your mistakes. So uh, I want to share with you along the lines of anointed ministry, um, fresh anointing, things that I've learned from God's word that I believe he has shown me and from my own mistakes. I like to say, and it's true, my early sermons were so bad, I fell asleep while I was preaching. I didn't have to wait for the folks to fall asleep. They did too, probably, but they were bad. So I know a bad sermon when I hear one because I preached a number. But it's a new day. and God is doing something. He wants to do something greater in all of our lives. So let's talk about wise, anointed preaching. 
The word anointed, of course, refers to the Holy Spirit. So we want to preach in the power and under the covering of not just the blood of Jesus who has cleansed us of our sins, but under and in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want to point out that I have learned from growing up in and around churches that it's not just so simple, preach the word and be anointed. Because I've met a lot of sincere people who are full of the Holy Spirit, but there's very little meager fruit to show for their ministry. They love God. They're doing their best. But possibly they lack wisdom. They lack wisdom. You know, listen to what Proverbs 9 says. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars, Proverbs 9. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city, let all who are simple come to my house. So wisdom here is pictured as a person in Proverbs a lot. And wisdom builds the house, structures things properly. You know, like, how about a foundation first? Oh, you're putting the roof on first? Uh, that's going to be a very interesting house. You got to start with the foundation. That's what wisdom tells you. And she's having a banquet, and she's got her food organized. She has the wine mixed. And how can people come unless they're invited? So she sends out messengers. Sequential, wise, wisdom builds the house. How many churches are held back by the preacher and the church and the order of service lacking wisdom from God? So that it's all scattered all around and we're doing things with no purpose? Doesn't edify? Well, why are you doing it that way? That's the way we do it. I was recently at a church visiting it. And they, they were singing and praise and worship. I would estimate at the top, 20% were singing. At the top number. So the praise and worship team, they were all rocking and singing and going through the gyrations and singing. 80% of the people were like standing. Not a very wise praise and worship system uh, uh, service, is it? Because in praise and worship, God is the only audience. It's not a concert. We're not interested in the people up there. They're to get us all to sing because he wants to hear all of us sing. So instead of having edification, it turns into a concert. God is not praised like he deserves to be because there's a lack of wisdom in the whole setup. Wisdom builds the house. And that can be in white churches, black churches, Baptist churches, charismatic churches. You can have some good things mixed in, but because of lack of wisdom, it doesn't, doesn't come across the way God would have it. No wonder James in first chapter says, if anyone lacks wisdom, but he's writing to Christians. Don't Christians automatically have wisdom? No. I haven't had at times in my life the wisdom of this pair of glasses. Lacking wisdom. 
So wisdom is the ability that God gives us to do things in such a way that the goal is reached, that we're, reach, that we're aiming for, and we're not just scatter shot all over the place. Notice, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. You can't teach wisdom. God has to give wisdom. So, I have noticed visiting churches, observing so many things, that churches many times are predominated by one or, or another influence. There are churches that are dominated by the word, the preaching of the word. Uh, the Bible. And they're not very much open to the influences of the Holy Spirit. It's the Word. We teach the Word. We preach the Word here. Where foundation is the Word. Come on, Word. And that's very important. But without the Spirit, the Word becomes dry, without openness to the Holy Spirit. It's very predictable. It becomes a lecture series. It's like what Mormons do or cults do. They do teaching and then everyone goes out to eat. Then there are churches that say, no, we emphasize the Holy Ghost and power, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. The anointing. And a lot of them depart from the Bible and many times get into very bizarre things that are not found in Scripture. So it can't be the Scripture, it can't be the Holy Spirit leading them away from the book that he wrote. They're not honoring the book he wrote. So let me tell you something. If you don't honor the only book the Holy Spirit wrote, he's not going to show up in your meetings with much regularity because you have dissed him, grieved him by not paying attention to what he wrote. Oh, God, speak to us. Well, wait a minute. Have you read what he already said? So, we have to honor the Word and the Spirit. You know the old saying, if you only emphasize the Word, you dry up. If you only emphasize the Spirit, you blow up. If you emphasize the Word and the Spirit, rightfully with wisdom, you grow up. You grow up. So the challenge before us is by the help of the anointing that we're talking about, to be open to the Spirit, but also to have the Spirit of wisdom. Wisdom in what we do. No more is that more needed than in preaching. I have met over the years and prayed with all kinds of pastors who are sincere, believe in the present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit, and I remember a long time ago in Louisiana doing a state convention for a certain denomination. A man was weeping at the altar. I knelt next to him. He was older than I was at the time, and I said to him, how can I pray for you, brother? And he said, Pastor Jim, I love God. I'm filled with the Spirit. I love His Word. We haven't baptized seven people in two years. And what you were preaching about convicted me. What? What's wrong? There's a lot of people like that. They either depend on the Word, and they know they're preaching the Word, but, oh, something's missing. Or they're wide, up to, wide open to the Holy Spirit, but there's not a whole lot of fruit. Or people come for a while and then disappear. So 20 years later, 10 years later, there's not much sign of fruit that gives the Father glory. It's not a numbers game. It's a fruit 
thing. So, we have to, like, take stock, analyze ourselves, and say, God, give us discernment about how we're doing this. How are we doing this? And of utmost importance, if we're going to edify the church, 1 Corinthians 14, 12, 12, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. No way we can edify the church without the help of wisdom. So let's talk about preaching. Preaching with anointing but with wisdom, or the anointing of wisdom, or the wisdom of the anointing. I read in a book about preaching uh, years ago that's meant a lot to me. I'm rereading it now. Some guy said in the late 1800s, whenever I had nothing to say, I yelled a lot. <laughs> he wasn't the last one to do it. A lot of times, if we're not prepared, we don't understand the ways of God, his word, and his spirit, we just yell in the microphone, praise God. And we shout, and the organ and some church cultures can, and it's as predictable as a Catholic Mass. And nothing's going to come of it. People leave home, uh, leave for home. And what did the preacher preach about? Oh, I don't know, but it felt good. Ooh, it felt good. So whether it's white church culture, black church culture, Latino culture, we have to avoid culture. Culture won't change anyone. The Holy Spirit, the Word of God, Jesus who transcends white culture, I'm half Polish, half Ukrainian, that ain't going to help me with anything. It's just the accident of my birth. I don't make a big deal about it because I didn't ask to be it. I'm no better, no worse than anyone else. So let's talk about preaching because that's a centrality, a central point in the growth of the church. Jesus told them to go out and preach. He preached. John the Baptist preached. The prophets preached. Nobody can be saved unless somebody comes and preaches and, or declares the word of God, the gospel to them. How can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear, hear unless someone speaks? So the centrality of preaching is in the Bible, but it's a certain kind of preaching that combines the word and the spirit, the anointing and the truth of God. So I'd like to just leave with you in this conference before I pray with you, some points that I find I've learned are vital, of great interest to us. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, pardon me while I just turn to it quickly, Timothy says to, uh, sorry, Paul says to Timothy, until I come, chapter 4, verse 13, till I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Until I see you, you got to be in the Word, read it publicly, read it alone, preach and teach. In the next chapter, the elders who, chapter 5, verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. 
That's work. It's work. You remember in Acts 6, there were some widows in the early church that were disputing about who was getting more food. And they wanted the, the apostles to divide the food and settle the argument between the Greek-speaking and the Hebrew-speaking uh, widows. And the apostles looked around and said, no, you choose some men to do this because this is not what God called us to do. We want to give ourselves to the word and prayer. To the word, meditating on the words of Christ. They had no New Testament yet. Meditating on the prophetic utterances in the Old Testament on the words of Christ and prayer. Why? To get immersed and filled with the Holy Spirit so that I would speak the word in power. Not just we're going to give ourselves to prayer, not just give ourselves to the word, to the word and to prayer. So, when we preach, it's a sacred thing. I visited a church recently in Florida where I've been trapped for more than a year. I visited and sat in the back recently, and it was so revolting to me that I, I almost walked out. Why? It was a talk, it was like a, a, a late-night talk show comedian presentation. Hey, hey, hi, little clever jokes and all of that. And people's souls, eternal destiny of their souls is at stake. And this person's showing off and, and doing a, a routine. Very grieving. The Bible says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as an oracle of God, as if he were saying the very words of God. So look, there's a time for everything under the sun. I like to laugh. There's a time to work out. There's a time to go to the beach. There's a time to sing. There's a time for everything. But when it's a time to preach, we who are called to that, this is heavy duty. God is watching, listening, every word. Knows the motives why we preach. What are we preaching for? A buck? Make a salary? Get a love offering? Honorarium? I just read about a woman speaker out in the, toward the far west. She was invited by a church to come, and then she said, I'm not coming for less than 30,000. She'll have to own up to that, won't she? if and when she stands before Christ. 30 grand for your sermon. Mm. Freely you've received, freely give. No, 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 no. That's for another meaning. So, in preaching, let's remember these things. Anointed preaching that edifies and has wisdom. Number one, you got to be natural. Listen to me, men and women out there in California, listen up. You got to be natural. God, the world needs a voice, not an echo. Don't be copying anyone. Don't, don't reproduce what you saw growing up or your favorite preacher on TV. God cannot use you once you start acting. If you want acting, go to Broadway. When the pandemic ends, I'll get you tickets for uh, some show there. But from the pulpit, we have to be totally natural and sincere. Anything affected, a tear in the voice, shouting when it's not a true emotion, just any of all the preacher tricks, any of that grieves the Holy Spirit. You think Jesus had two faces ever? Do you think he told his disciples, look, guys, go across the lake. I'm going up on that mountain, and I'm giving a thing on Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, 
So you go across the lake. I'll meet you later. Okay. All right. See you, Peter, James, John. Later. Love you. Bye. Okay. Hi. Hi, everybody. Well, Jesus is in the house today. Whoo, come on. You think he did that? You think he changed his voice? Oh, he cried. He lifted up his voice. But there was no showtime. Church has been inundated by showtime of all different kinds. The biggest hurdle I had when I went in the ministry is all I can do, I'm not eloquent. All I can do is speak conversationally. When I started in the ministry, the biggest hurdle I had was to believe that God could use me to help people preach his word in who I am, conversationally. I don't talk different now than I do in a restaurant. And when I was little, I would go out to a restaurant with uh, my best friend was the pastor's son, and, and I would be around the pastor and some guest preachers, and I would hear them. They never said to the server or the waitress, come on now, bring me that soul, come on now. I never heard that. Give me that menu, woo, yes. I never heard any of that, but when they went in the pulpit, I would be scratching my head like, dude, what is that? What just came on you? Oh, that's the anointing. It's not the anointing. That's being unnatural and being traditional, and it hurts us because it grieves away the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth. I can't be acting and have his anointing at the same time. So wisdom tells us you got to be natural. Got to be who you are. Hey, you are who you are. If God wanted you to act like someone else, he would have made you that. Number two, you have to preach the word. Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would he say I'm not ashamed? Because the message of the gospel in California, New York, Florida, is very, very mortifying to us in certain ways because we tell people, listen, you got to come to the understanding you're sinners. You're doomed without Christ. He died for your sins. I, I, I didn't come here to hear I got to change my ways. What's up with you, preacher? Why you give? Why are you filled with hate speech? Why are you being judgmental? Paul said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God." That means you, you, me, Paul, chief of all sinners. He said he was. Then you got to tell people the only way to get saved is receive a gift by grace and do nothing to earn it. Just bow before him and receive it. Then the gospel also says, now that you receive that salvation and he's your savior, you now belong to him. You're no longer yourself. You can't be doing your own thing. You can't run your life now the way you used to. You belong to Christ. Well, that's humiliating. Come to New York and stop the average person and tell them that. The initial reaction, reflex reaction is usually, get out of my face. Don't tell me. That's your opinion. That's your truth. I have another truth. So we have to preach the word under all circumstances in love. Now, I'm not take, talking about taking a hammer or a two-by-four and slamming people. That's not preaching. That's hammering people with a two-by-four. We have to preach the truth in love, but not be ashamed of it. Not opinions. Why would anyone want to change their life based on my opinions? Well, what I feel, 
I'm not interested in what you feel or I feel or anyone feels. I want to know what, thus saith the Lord. How will the Holy Spirit anoint me if I depart from the message he, he gave us in the Bible? The message of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Number two, when we do that, we have God's authority behind us. When we preach the word, the Holy Spirit goes, what? Oh, you're going to preach Christ and the word that I inspired? Oh, I am with you. We're on the same track. We're in the same lane. You want to be in the same lane as the Holy Spirit if you want that anointing and that wisdom. So, you know, the Bible talks about Samuel. None of his words fell to the ground. He had weight. There's nothing worse than being in a, in a meeting and hearing a guy say things that are true, but it has all the weight of a feather. There's no, there's no soul to it. There's no gravity to it. So let's preach the word of God. Let's not be ashamed of it. Will everyone get saved? Hey, when Jesus was here, not everyone got saved. They put him on a tree. Didn't you read that? And he said, if they hate me, they'll hate you. And if they reject me, they'll reject you. Our job is not to do numbers games. Our job is to be faithful and preach the truth in love. And he'll help us. Thirdly, we got to preach Christ and the gospel. We preach the word, but especially our message is you got to get to Jesus. Oh, no, Pastor Jim, I'm doing a series on the life of uh, Solomon. Fine. Get to Jesus quickly, please. Solomon's not going to change anyone. He had a bad end himself. Uh, no, I'm doing 17 weeks on um, the life of Elijah or the book of Numbers. Look, it's all the Word of God. It's inspired and it'll be helpful. But you got to jump from those Old Testament references to get to Jesus, the gospel, the cross, the blood, the Holy Spirit, the new birth, the church, the second coming. That's our message. The old covenant is done away. We have a new one. We don't have the eating restrictions. We don't kill people who curse their mother or father. That was all true under the law. So we got to rightly divide and preach Christ, the gospel, the good news. On that note, can I say something? A great Bible teacher told me years ago. He prayed for me every morning. He's gone to be with the Lord. But he would say to me, Warren Wiersbe was his name. He'd say to me, Jim, so remember this. I learned it a long time ago. When you're preparing a sermon, say this to yourself. What's the point? What's the point of the message? Don't have nine, ten points. What's the point? What do you want people to leave home thinking about? They can't think and feel about five different things at once. So what's the point? About love? What about love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Well, stay with those two. Because if you try to name them all and not puffed up this and that, people are going to be, whoa, what, what am I doing here? So what's the point? And later, secondly, who cares about your point? 
I heard a sermon years ago in Florida at a big preacher's convention. I was astounded. The man took 40 minutes to talk about how the Last Supper painting by Leonardo da Vinci is wrong. That's not how they really sat all across with John leaning on the bosom of Jesus. That the table was arranged in Jewish times differently. Do you think anyone cared? No, I mean for real. Or where did the Amalekites come from? Let's spend 30 minutes in the history of the Amalekites. People are fighting Oxycontin. Their marriages are falling apart, and one of their daughters is cutting herself. Why would they care about the Amalekites? You can touch on it, but you got to get to what matters in people's lives. Because we're all fighting battles. So, what's the point and who cares? Let me finish. You got to preach. We've got to preach, if we're going to preach under the anointing with wisdom, from a heart that has been deeply moved by the subject we're preaching on. 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul says, My gospel came to you not in word only, but in power in the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And the construction of the Greek there in that sentence is not deep conviction only in the hearers. Primarily, it refers to the deep conviction of the preacher. If he doesn't feel what he's preaching about, how's he going to get anyone to feel deeply about what he's preaching about? For example, love, love is patient, love is kind. For God to deal with me first about my lack of patience, my lack of kindness, and break me and move me more like him. Now maybe I can preach that with more authority and grip people's hearts. Remember, if you preach from your heart that's been moved by God, his word and spirit, you can reach other people's hearts. If you preach from su cabeza, your head, you will only reach people's heads. So, we got to be full of the subject in our hearts. Whether we're preaching extemporaneously or with notes, I've been preaching the last 17 years now, basically without notes for my Sunday sermons. Uh, we have to have an openness to the Spirit's direction and leading while we're preaching. For examples, he might bring to us. Charles Spurgeon said, I never stay too close to my notes. He had little fragments of notes for his sermons. I never stay too close to them because who knows what the Holy Spirit might show me on the subject I'm preaching on right while I'm preaching. Why can't God do that? Doesn't the Bible tell us, didn't Jesus say, when you're brought before kings and leaders and tribunals, don't give any thought to what you're saying, for the Holy Spirit at that moment will put words in your mouth? Come on now. So to preach wisely under the anointing is to stay open to the Holy Spirit. How to begin. When to quit. I once heard one of the greatest sermons in the history of my life, out in uh, a western state at a conference of ministers, I tell you what, for 25, 30 minutes, I was ready to go to the altar and get saved myself. Again. Unfortunately, the minister preached for 55 minutes. The last 25, tough sledding. But see, that's what his notes dictated. But the wisdom went out the window the minute the anointing left, because now... There was a labor. He could feel it. 
I could t I talked to him later and he told me I I preached too long. I know what got into me. So wisdom knows how many words, when to stop, when to start, how to start. And lastly, a special application, right? Application is the hardest part of preaching. No matter what you're breaking down, what passage you're, 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 you're analyzing, and you explain it, now how, directed by the Spirit, do you apply it to the people? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind. So here's what patience means in the Greek. And here's what love means. I'm um, sorry, uh, kindness means. So that word there for patience, I believe it's the word of patience with people. There's a word of patience, perseverance under circumstances, and there's another one for with people. So that's what it means in the Greek and the whatever, and that's it. And Paul preached, and without love, you ain't nothing and all that. But the people are sitting there, and maybe we, you haven't gotten into their kitchen. So, sir, how kind are you to your wife? Now, I'm saying how you act in church. If your wife had to give testimony, an affidavit, sign it, what would she say about your, your kindness or your patience? How, how goes it with you? How goes it with me? If you go to my uh, assistant or you talk to my wife or the other pastors, if they say, no, the guy's a nut job. He just acts like that in the pulpit. No, we got to humble ourselves, me, you, all of us, to make application to people, not in a harsh way, but in a way to provoke a turning to God, oh God. I am impatient. I'm lacking in love that gives me that patience. Oh, Lord, help me. Remember, the sermon can only be an arrow. A sermon is an arrow to get people to God. The sermon doesn't change anyone unless it gets you to God. When Peter preached the first one in Acts 2, they were pricked in their hearts and said, what must we do to be saved? And he told them, you better get to Jesus. Be baptized. Repent. Put your faith in him. As I close, you know the angels would love our job, right? You know that. There's stress. It's hard sometimes. It's hard a lot of times. But the angels would love to be able to tell one person about Jesus. But that's not God's plan. He gave us ministers the privilege of telling people about Jesus, the good news of God's love expressed through Christ and the cross. His Holy Spirit is available to help us. If he sent us, he obviously is going to equip us. You don't have to go to God and say, God, I have to preach now tomorrow. I know you don't want to help me, but please, can we talk? No, he's going to help you. He's going to help me. I hope I've helped you. Come on, let's pray. Father, before they break into prayer out there in California on their own, God, guide Ron Brown, Lord, and the other leaders there what to do. But I pray that you will give us the wisdom that builds the house. 
James 1, if anyone lacks wisdom, we lack wisdom, God. All of us. Would you grant it to us, please? Not the cleverness of this world, but the wisdom of God. Would you make our sermons arrows, Lord, boom, into people's hearts, turning them and pointing to Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Omnipotent Father, full of mercy and grace, you are welcome in this place. As we wait before you, as we pray, as we open our hearts, bring us deeper. Bring us deeper so that we can bear more fruit so your name is glorified. Please, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you for choosing our podcast today. We hope that you're comforted, encouraged, and strengthened in the Lord today because of it. Don't forget to subscribe, though. It's easy. Just go to wherever you're listening right now and click subscribe. God bless you today.